Hello, and uh, welcome once again to the Asian Education Podcast and the final episode, indeed, of this very first season. And we're going to wrap up this season with an interview with Professor Lin Zubin of National Taiwan Normal University. Zubin is also a, an honorary professor of the IOE in uh, UCL in London. And he's recently been writing quite a lot on Taiwan's bilingual education policy, which is what we're going to primarily be talking about today. So maybe we can start, Zubin, by having you explain to us basically what the bilingual policy is. So what is Taiwan's bilingual education policy? Uh, when was it introduced and why? Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Ed. And it's a pleasure of mine to be able to share some of my thoughts on bilingual education here. I mean, in Taiwan, the first wave of introducing the idea of bilingual actually starts from quite a long time ago, in around 2003 and 2004. At that time, it was the first DPP government. Mm, so the DPP is the Democratic Progressive Party, the uh, the sort of an independence-leaning party, uh, one of the two main parties in, in Taiwan. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Then at that time, they proposed that they want to raise up the English proficiency level among Taiwanese citizens. Mm. Yeah. And then from that, apparently the first attempt is not successful because... Yeah, yeah. Why, why was it not successful? Because there are some different opinion or discontented opinions from those who support the local identity. They think that if you want to make English as a semi-official language. Then what happened to the local dialects like Minnanese, Hakka, and the Aborigine languages? I see. So so there was concern from some of these local constituencies, the Aboriginal yeah. tribes and the, the, the Hakka speakers in particular, that, that, that if you expand the space within the school curriculum for English, then something will have to give, and that's likely to be any space that there is for teaching these local languages. Yes, exactly, exactly. That's true. So you know the context quite well. So that's the first attempt, but it wasn't successful. What was the position, though, of the... So you said this was a policy of the DPP, the Democratic Progressive Party. Yes. And my understanding is that actually... So they were in government in 2003, but actually if you go back to the 1990s, bilingual education was already in their manifesto, wasn't it? Even earlier. Yeah, but at that time, they, they don't put it as a formal policy. It's probably in one, it's one part of the agenda. But it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, not a, it's not highlighted. Well, what was the position of the, the other main party, the Kuomintang? Yeah, the Kuomintang. I mean, okay, because Kuomintang is... For a long time, they share a very good relationship with, probably with the United States. So a lot of them actually experienced uh, spending some of their lives studying in the United States. For example, like President Ma Ying-jeou, I think he's very proud of his English proficiency and he can speak fluently, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I think that actually in Taiwan, learning English or raising up the citizens' uh, English proficiency is actually quite, it is a consensus among most of the parents, I would say. Parents, they, they are keen to give more opportunity for their kids learning more English. Mm. I think that is the tendency. So you, you wouldn't so you'd say it's not a particularly politically polarizing issue. Yes. Uh, it's not necessarily something that divides the Guomindang from the DPP. Yeah. I think it's it's not a polarized issue. No. Yeah. Mm. I think both parties they support kind of maybe they use different terminology, but hidden behind this terminology, actually they both agree that English is very important. Mm. But they use it in different ways. I mean in political terms. Well, right. Yeah. So Guomindang, I think they think that English, yeah, we, we have such a good connection with the United States, right? So it's a good thing. So if the English uh, is more popular in Taiwan, that is not bad. And both parties, I think, more or less agree on 
having raising up the English proficiency level of Taiwanese citizens, then Taiwan may be more internationalized. Okay, so they, they probably both agree this very simple logic. Okay, if you our citizens have good English proficiency, then we are more internationalized. If we are more internationalized, we probably may have better economy and blah, blah, blah. This kind of a very simple logic. Yeah, so it's, it's a sort of pragmatic logic for uh, uh, bilingualism or, or e essentially for um, placing greater emphasis on the teaching of English or, or opening up more space in the curriculum for that. Yes. So there's broad consensus on that. But then, I mean, I, I guess what you're going to move on to next is, is where they differ, which I imagine is, is with regard to the, the symbolism of English yes. or the, the, I, how it relates to ideas of Taiwanese identity. Yes. I mean, for KMT, for Kuomintang, I don't think uh, they would use this to, to have influence on the identity formation. No. But for DPP, this will be a good means when they construct the discourse of so-called multicultural Taiwan. Because DPP is more pro-independent. No. They want to create that uh, Taiwan is a multicultural society. Of course, yeah, we can, we can agree that Taiwan is a multicultural society because we got different ethnic groups. There are different languages are used on the island. But the reality in Taiwan at this moment is that actually based on the 2020 consensus done by the central government, uh, for those who are uh, whose age is under 50, 50, more than 80% of them, their daily use language, common language is Mandarin. Yeah. So the fact is that, yeah, Taiwan, we do have different languages. We do have uh, different ethnic groups. But the most common, the dominant language is actually Mandarin Chinese. Mm. But for DPP, I mean, of course, that's my, my own opinion. For DPP, they want to reduce the strong influence of Mandarin Chinese. So they come up with this strategy. First, of course, they promote the local identity, like the Minnan ethnic group, the Hakka ethnic group, the Aborigines. Then they also talk about the, the past history, right? Taiwan has been uh, multicultural because uh, the people from Netherlands came to Taiwan from Portuguese, uh, those Portuguese came to Taiwan, then Japan, then Han Chinese, all these. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, what, what you're getting at, I think, is a very important part of the, the, the context for this debate over language in Taiwan, which, you know, maybe a lot of people listening to this might not be very familiar with. Uh, I mean, I guess most people will know that. Yes. Um, you know, there's a lot of political and diplomatic tension surrounding Taiwan, uh, the, the status of Taiwan or its relationship with with China uh, yeah. is at the heart of that tension. Um, and that there's this uh, dispute, therefore, over, you know, whether Taiwan should be seen as essentially or purely or simply Chinese or whether Taiwan is something else. And of course, traditionally, the position of the Guomindang has been, well, I mean, the Guomindang used to be referred to in English as the nationalist or the Chinese nationalist party. Yeah. That's its, um, that's its brand. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it, it is historically the party of China, of Chinese nationalism, uh, and its message about Taiwan and Taiwan's identity is, or, or traditionally has been that Taiwan is basically Chinese. Yes. Um, whereas the position of the Democratic Progressive Party, in other words, the current government, is that Taiwan is something else or something different or something more than it, the sum of its sort of Chinese inheritance. Uh, yeah. That, uh, okay, yes, we can't deny the influence of Chinese heritage and culture on Taiwan, but Taiwan's identity has evolved 
beyond that and to some extent has always been somewhat separate uh, yeah. you know so there as you were saying you know there've been all these other multicultural all these other sort of diverse elements in uh, that have gone into making taiwan's identity and the narrative of taiwan's history that has um come to the fore uh in public discourse over the last 20 or 30 years and particularly under dpp regimes has been one that emphasizes as you were mentioning uh the legacy of the dutch regime in the 17th century uh well then the qing dynasty but then the japanese uh from 1895 to 1945 then the guomindang another bunch of outsiders who came in and dominated uh you know the the the, the hapless taiwanese and until democratization in the 1990s when uh yeah as as the narrative has it finally taiwan sort of comes into its own and can celebrate the diversity of its uh sort of cultural legacies and so this debate debate over language is is part of that debate over identity that pits a chinese vision of taiwan or a vision of taiwan as chinese against the multicultural the vision of taiwan as a multicultural asian democracy basically yes yeah then uh, the reason why I think the DPP government proposed uh, not only the local languages but also English, because when the first when they tried the first attempt, and they realized that okay, if you if you promote local languages and integrate it in school curriculum, mm -hmm. you may not have the majority of parents considering that that is important enough that my kids need to spend some periods in schools learning this. Mm -hmm. But as I mentioned, most of the parents, they have a very high acceptance rate of their kids learning English because it's such an important thing. In the future, if their kids want to be more international, more with more international mobilities, English is the language. So, I mean, for the second DPP government, which is the current current government, when they came into power, I think they refined their discourse on on those multicultural uh, elements. When they bring in the languages, they actually position this so-called bilingual policy, the twenty thirty bilingual policy. Uh, they say that is for English and Mandarin, mm. Chinese. So you're saying that the second DPP government that came into power in 2016, yes, to some extent, learnt some from some of the political mistakes that it had made, uh, or that the DPP perhaps had made in the the first period, its first period in government from 2000 to 2008, when they um, didn't give such prominence to bilingualism, Mandarin. And English that, that that it was a sort of more mixed message. They they were at the same time also pushing quite strongly for multi-language heritage languages or uh, Taiwanese, Hakka, Aboriginal languages. I mean, but but those languages are all still in the curriculum now, right? And in fact, that aspect of language education has been further expanded under the current government to yes. to embrace new immigrant languages so malay burmese vietnamese and so forth yes i mean following that uh that route of course to me the second dpp government actually learned from the previous property uh mistakes or whatever so they position english uh they use bilingual policy for this but at the same time as you mentioned they come out with so-called national languages or native languages. Mm. And the government actually passed the Development of National Language Act. It's, 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 it's a formal legalization process to make those uh, languages used by the ethnic group living on the island, mm. the natural language used by all the ethnic groups living on the island, these languages are so-called national languages. So they try to strike a balance. As I mentioned, when they when they do when they did the first attempt, 
even within DPP party, the two different forces, one is put, putting more emphasis on English. The other group probably is putting more emphasis on local languages and local identity. They they don't uh they they don't come along with each other that they're sort of intention. They're 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 fighting over their sort of slice of the curriculum or the the, yeah. the school timetable. But this round, both group are putting more efforts. So a group of uh I mean those pro English groups, they come out with a twenty thirty bilingual policy. But the other groups they pass the development of a national language act. So, actually, in Taiwan, we are not bilingual at this moment. As you mentioned, from from primary all the way up to university level, or or pre university level, uh, students need to learn at least three different languages. So, bilingual policy is one of the policy discourse talking uh, mentioning Mandarin and English, but we also have another discourse at the same time putting emphasis on a, a compulsory curriculum for local language or new immigrant language to be taught from primary all the way to uh, senior high school. But those um, uh, native languages don't occupy a huge proportion of curriculum time, do they? Yes. Maybe uh, two periods a week or something like that? In primary school, it's about two periods a week, but for junior and senior high, usually it's one period. Right. So it's really quite a sort of token uh, element of the curriculum. But it's a huge change already. Then for this group of supporting English, but I have to say, for these two group of people, they are, they are taking different routes, but to me, their final ultimate goal is the same one, which is probably more or less, no matter you put emphasis on English or local languages to be taught in schools, more or less you are undermine the dominant uh, status of Mandarin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because if you beg students learn more local languages or native languages or English, or even raise up the status of English. Yeah, because in the development of National Language Act, it say in the past, I mean, of course, in Taiwan, the dominant language, the national language is Mandarin Chinese. But now Mandarin Chinese is one of it, the national languages. Mm. We also got Minanese, we got Hakka, we got 16 different types of uh, indigenous languages. And then we got Taiwan's sign language. Yeah. And then you've got the new immigrant languages, as I just mentioned. Yeah. Yes. So Taiwan is multicultural, say. We, we are also multilingual. Mm -hmm. So from primary all the way, as I mentioned, to senior high school, students, they need to learn at least three languages. Mandarin, uh, Chinese is, of course, the, the compulsory in curriculum. Mm -hmm. And now the local languages or native languages, they need to choose one. For example, my two daughters, they are learning Minanese mm. in primary school. And at the same time, you need to learn English, right? But but if you look at these two, for those who are doing this 2030 bilingual policy, referring to Mandarin and English, they, they put push it even further because English is already a com the only compulsory foreign language from primary all the way to senior high school. It has its status in the curriculum. Mm. So they push even further. So they say that, okay, so in the future, not only in, when English teacher teaches English, they use English. Mm. For other subject teachers, when you teach your subject contents, you need to integrate English in your subject teaching. That means you need to apply two languages to teach your subject content rather than mentoring only. Right, so it's basically it's not just enhancing the teaching of English, it's moving towards English medium instruction uh, or a sort of hybrid uh, yes. medium of instruction for at least some subjects. Which subjects in particular tend to be sort of targeted for that approach? Okay, from prim uh, for prim uh, primary and junior high school level, 
there are four subjects uh, or four air subject areas are the pri prioritized areas for this kind of uh, integrate English in subject into subject teaching. Uh, PE, uh, physical education, health education, this area. Mm -hmm. Okay, then arts, including music, performing arts, visual arts, mm -hmm. and then technology. Right. And the last one is so-called, uh, in Taiwan, we have an area called comprehensive areas. So comprehensive means that in primary, you teach uh, students those things related to their lives. Like, uh, Yeah, this, this is, I think, similar to what in Japan they call integrated studies. So, yeah. yeah. Zonghe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that's yeah, it's like the Japanese subject. Or oh, these four subject areas are the prioritized areas for promoting this integrated English into subject teaching. Right, but the interesting thing that that stands out about all those areas is that they are not high stakes in terms of public examinations. So the the high school entrance exams in Taiwan, as in Japan, South Korea, China, uh, they all primarily test what uh, national language, English, uh, maths, science, uh, science, social and studies. Social yes, yeah. these are the five key subjects, and those subjects are still being taught in Mandarin, basically. Yeah, but uh, I have to mention that uh, even though the government say that these four subject areas are prioritized areas for implementing this bilingual policy, bilingual teaching, but if the school teachers are others for other subjects, for example, geography, math, or science, if you want to do it, you can do it. Right, okay, so there is a an aspiration there's an aspiration to expand this yeah. uh, sort of bilingual or use of english to some extent at least as the medium of instruction to sort of core subjects as well yes. as the these more peripheral ones yes so in fact the school can decide what are those subject areas they want to do bilingual teaching and the more subject areas you have, the more funding you receive from the government, from the ministry. Right. So for primary and junior high schools, I mean, uh, if you have like, for example, three subject areas practicing this kind of bilingual subject teaching, then you can have like 1.2 million mm. per year extra funding. Mm. Yeah. Now, um, yeah, I mean, you, you've, you've mentioned or, or certainly implied that this renewed push for bilingual education alongside actually a further expansion of the uh, native language education program is being pushed by the DPP um, largely, if not entirely, uh, for, um, I mean, I suppose what we might call political reasons or, or um, reasons related to uh, their um, vision for Taiwan's identity and Taiwan's geopolitical position. Um, and uh, I think that in the... Um, Sort of efforts to sell this policy. Uh, comparative references have been made to Singapore. Is that right? Yes. The, yes. The Sing and and I, I mentioned that uh, partly because as we speak, you're in Singapore, and yeah. and, um, and also because you you write a little bit about this in your book, which I should mention. So yes, you've 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 written a, a best selling book in Chinese, Shuang Yu Jiao Yu, which is available at. Uh, all good bookstores in Taiwan, yeah. or the equivalent there of Amazon. Uh, you just mentioned you got another new book coming out, so we can put some details of that on the um, uh, on the episode uh, notes. But um, in this book, 
uh, you have a whole chapter basically talking about this um, use of Singapore or this invoking of Singapore as a model of a bilingual society. And you see that as problematic. Yeah, so can you, can you, can you explain, you know, why, why you see that as a, as okay. Inappropriate. Let's uh, 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 take one step back. Mm. When Taiwan started to do bilingual education, or at least uh, promoting this, actually there are two cities in Taiwan. They started this initiative before the Ministry of Education, roughly around 2015 and 2016, when uh, Lai Qingde was the mayor of uh, Tainan City, and Ke Wenzhe was the mayor of Taipei City. So Lai Xingde currently is a vice president. And the candidate for president, right? Yes, for the next round of president ele election. And he's actually, one of his highlighted uh, achievement as a mayor of Tainan, as he probably proud, proudly promote, is that he made time, a lot of schools in Tainan become bilingual school. Yeah. And also, he set up the office for making English as a second official language under the Tainan city government to promote beyond uh, the education uh, scenario. In other parts of the city, you will see bilingual signs, symbols, and mm -hmm. Uh, road sign in Chinese and in English, blah, blah, like this. Or even some official document, they have a bilingual version. So he, yeah. he's basically trying to turn Tainan into a sort of pilot project for the bilingual yes. program. Yes. And I mean, when 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 he become the vice president, Tainan is also one of the most used examples for other places. And roughly around the same time, uh, around 2016, the mayor of Taipei at that time, uh, Ke Wenzhe, visited Singapore. And then when he returned, he said that, oh, I will make Taipei the next, to become the next Singapore. And bilingual education to him is one of the key to the successful transplant of the Singapore experience. Because, I mean, in one of the media interviews, he mentioned that he actually had a conversation with, uh, at that time, the former Minister of Education of Singapore. So, and he, he considered that bilingual education is one of the accents of such a successful Singapore story. So, when he returned from Singapore, actually, he pushed quite hard, I would use this term, to make uh, Taipei schools, especially primary and junior high school, to become, to adapt bilingual teaching. Right. However, however, I think the Singapore experience cannot be uh, transplanted to Taiwanese context. And also, uh, Ke Wenzhe failed to understand that the definition of bilingual and uh, of bilingual the two languages in Singapore is very different from the two languages we use in Taiwan. And the context is very different. That's the reason why I wrote in my book indicating that Singapore, Singapore's experience can be a reference. We can learn from it. We have something we can learn from Singapore, but we cannot do things like what Singapore did mm. for more bilingual teaching in their schools. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, because I mean, most obviously, English has become a, a language of common use in Singapore, well, because of the legacy of British colonialism, exactly. uh, but also because of Sing the, Singapore's nature as a multi-ethnic, multilingual society where English has become, you know, what's often called a, a link language. Yes, uh, or the language for their daily use. Yeah. And it's the language in which, I mean, again, because of the British legacy, it's the language of law, it's the language of administration, it's the language in which 
you know, a lot of business had been done uh, as Singapore had grown up as a modern city. Whereas um, in the case of Taiwan, if you're trying to in trying to make Singapore your model, you'd be basically trying to re-engineer a lot of the institutional sort of uh, apparatus of Taiwanese society and um, and the culture that goes with it. Uh, but I guess that the, the, for the Democratic Progressive Party, you know, when we get down to it, I mean, one of the big attractions of Singapore as a model is this um, image of a, a, a relatively small society that has one way or another become detached from a larger neighbor uh, and has uh, made a success of it yes. economically and in other ways. And, um, you know, that's also obviously, I, I, I guess, what the DPP politicians are invoking when they invoke Singapore. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, we, we, we definitely can learn some experience or lessons from Singapore. Like, for example, when Singapore promotes bilingual education, in schools, it takes years, at least more than 20 years, two decades efforts mm. to transform most of the schools in Singapore to become uh, using English as the main instructional languages. But if we look back to what happened in Taiwan, when Ke Wenzhou was the mayor, he even mentioned that by 2026, okay, he probably started from 2016. Uh, in the very beginning, they chose two primary schools in Taipei as a, as a piloting schools to do bilingual subject teaching. Then he even said that uh, by 2026, all primary and junior high school in Taipei will become bilingual schools. Why do you think why do you think he's been in such a rush or or why do you think perhaps other DPP politicians have been have sort of set these perhaps somewhat okay I seem to be somewhat unrealistic goals yeah for political reasons because I mean they have different probably different purposes for for their next step for election so when Kawancha mentioned that by 2026, apparently, I mean, he, he's, he's currently another candidate running for president for the next election. So actually, when he was the mayor, he used this uh, to, 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 to say that Taipei is far, moving far, far more faster than other cities and counties in Taiwan to support this bilingual end. Taipei will probably become next Singapore. That's that's what he used in his rhetorics. You think he really believed that it was possible that this was going to happen so fast? If you have uh, some understanding about what bilingual teaching, what are the, what those what are the resources required, and what are those uh, means you need to use to make it happen? I mean, twenty. 26 is not a feasible target at all. Even the 2030 set by the government is not feasible. Yeah, to me, I mean, I think it's not feasible. But I have to uh, make it very clear. I think uh, promoting bilingual or multilingual uh, education is not, a, is not a bad idea. In itself. Yeah. yeah, to a large extent, I support this idea. I think bilingual... Bilingual multilingualism is not a bad thing, right? Mm. But if when we look at it within the education system, we need to realize that you cannot make changes overnight. Mm. So to me, I have to say I think it's a good idea, and I probably a support a supporter of this idea. If my kids can speak more languages, that's great. Mm. Um, she can speak Mandarin, English, or Minanese, or even Hakka. That's great. But we need to do it in a way that uh, teachers and schools can implement it. Mm. Mm. Rather than that setting, a, setting a target that is apparently not feasible. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And you push schools, you push a principal, you push a teachers and rushing into it. Yeah, it can create a lot. I imagine it may create a lot of demoralization and a certain amount of cynicism. And and discontented uh, uh, voices from the teachers. Yes, because amongst the teachers. Yeah, well, I mean, I have to say that, like you, I'm, I, I, I'm also, uh, um, you know, someone who likes the idea of bilingualism, you know, in principle, and and indeed, um, one of the main reasons why I find myself in here in Japan today is that, uh, you know, I, my wife and I decided to to move here from England because we felt it was the only way to bring up our children bilingually, um, but we're able to do that. Because we speak two languages within the home. Yes. Uh, I mean, in Japanese society, more generally, uh, you know, most, as, as I think most people are aware, you know, Japan is, uh, uh, all, I was going to say almost as bad as Britain, maybe even worse in terms of its monolingualism. It is, you know, we're, this is a monolingual society, despite the fact that, um, uh, you know, kids study English from uh, actually not as not in the beginning of primary school, but they start studying it in the middle of primary school and go on studying it right through high school and into university, um, but with relatively little effect, seemingly in in most cases. Um, but um, you know, so it's difficult. I mean, it's difficult to. Forget about bilingualism. It's it's difficult actually to teach foreign languages effectively um, in a context where students don't have the opportunity to use them or hear them uh, on a day to day basis uh, very much. And so, making the leap to a sort of, I, I, I guess the aim is fully fluent bilingualism. Uh, for the majority of Taiwan's population, is a you know that that that's a pretty big aspiration. Um, I mean, we might accept that it's a nice idea, but the resources and the time required to achieve that, uh, I imagine, will be considerable. I mean, so al- although you said you could accept that. Bilingualism might, in a sense, be a sort of noble aspiration. Yeah. Do you think perhaps that there's a price to be paid for making this a priority? I mean, in 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 expending resources, money, um, energy, political yeah. uh, and otherwise, on this particular goal, do you think, to some extent, other worthy goals in education or for education? Are, are being sacrificed. Okay. Um, to, for 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 what you just said, I would say that uh, currently, if, as far as I know, there are some key aspects of Taiwanese education. I mean, the ministry pushing towards those direction. One is definitely, uh, you know, like many other countries, applying technologies make these kids more technological savvy mm. and, uh, so that they can live in this digital world, blah, 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 blah. And bilingual education has been packaged saying that we can make our students more uh, internationalized with better international mobility and we can have more intercultural communication. That's good. And in fact, for at this moment, the ministry actually combined these two together. Mm. Because in Taiwan, as uh, as it may be the same phenomenon in many other countries, we do have the the gap between the those schools in urban area and the rural area. So now they bring in the the rhetoric of technology, saying that we can apply technology to reduce the gap. Okay, but that's that's the way how they address it, how they create this discourse and trying to combine this newly. Uh, initiative or or regions of the ministry. Oh, you mean that the, the part of the argument is that they think they can sort of use the latest technology to speed up the process of 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 um, uh, 
turning Taiwanese education bilingual. Yes. Somehow this is going to assist. One of the aspects. The other is they think that technology can effectively reduce the the existing gap of uh, high and low English proficiency level among students studying urban schools and rural area schools. Mm. Yeah. Well, is, isn't that one possible cost or danger of this policy, which is that presumably pushing for bilingualism uh, is going to raise the value of English credentials or, 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 or it's, going, it's going to imply a requirement on more and more of the Taiwanese population to achieve a high standard of English. And some people in Taiwan are going to be much better placed than others uh-huh. yes. to uh, achieve that required standard. Um, and so the, the more importance you place on English, the more perhaps you exacerbate the gap between the sort of the, those with the resources or the, the sort of cultural capital exactly. to, to give their children the, the sort of um, training required to achieve fluency in English and those without those resources. Okay, but at the same time, there is a different rhetoric has been created. For example, in the past, what you just mentioned is exactly true, right. because those parents in in with better culture or capitals living in the cities, mm. their kids can start uh, can start learning English for very young age because mm. there are a lot of uh, tuition centers, there are various resources there, so they can learn English earlier. But for those kids in in uh, so-called disadvantaged areas, uh, the rural areas, they won't have this kind of resources, right? But if now, when government promote bilingual education, so when the kids go to schools, the school is a bilingual environment. So probably to some extent, it will reduce I see. Yeah. Right. Right. So uh, yes, yes. So 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 that's the sort of rationale that the 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 putting this commitment and resources behind the promotion of bilingual education will, or is intended to close that gap to some extent. Exactly. And yeah. technology will become also one of the means if we bringing technology in. So you see. We offer various English learning platforms for the kids. So we provide you with the tablets. So even though you are not in English class or you are not in those bilingual subject classes, mm. you can still learn English. Mm. We try to reduce the gap by at the same time promoting technology enhanced language teaching. Right. The bilingual subject teaching to give you the English news or bilingual uh, environment, yeah. So you mm. properly reduce. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned technology and the, the 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 sort of faith placed in technology as uh, you know potential tool for um, assisting the spread of bilingualism, uh, you know, achieving the goals of the bilingual education policy. Um, but I mean, more broadly in educational discourse in Taiwan, I mean, science and technology. Uh, is absolutely central, isn't it? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think there's a sort of widespread view that 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 is the goal of education. That you know, science and promoting scientific and technological knowledge and know-how. You know, this is the holy grail of yeah. education. Uh, you know, and and to some extent, you know, that that is uh, true, perhaps across. East Asia in the so-called sort of developmental states of of uh, oh. Northeast Asia, but um, you know, therefore, when we're looking at the discourse in Taiwan surrounding the bilingual education policy, is there also a sense that promoting bilingualism will assist the sort of further growth and development of Taiwan's scientific and technological sector? Oh, okay. This is a very crucial point because I have to say in the very beginning stages of the central government promoting bilingual education or bilingual subject teaching in schools, more precisely, math and science subjects are 
uh, those subjects, they can, they are considering that it is feasible to be prioritize areas for bilingual subject teaching because they think that the the math for those formulas and for those uh, terminologies actually are uh, worldwide, um, you know, worldwide accepted. And for science, of course, yes, like those uh, names for the for 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 the trees and all these things. Yeah, but uh, I mean, when they propose this, soon they realize that they cannot, uh, uh, they cannot using this rhetoric. Why? Because uh, these are exam subjects. Parents, they will worry about that, of course, because uh, the parents support the idea that to give a student a more uh, English friendly and uh, environment so that the English proficiency level may be better or students may use English as a communicative tools in their daily life. But at the same time, parents, they will worry if when you promote this and you sacrifice the exam result of the students, the parents, it becomes a parent's concern. That's the reason why I think they choose the four prioritized subject areas. And these areas, such areas are not exam subjects. Right. Yes. Yes. I mean, I can quite appreciate that. I mean, parents will all, always worry about, um, uh, you know, their children's performance in these high stakes exams. But I mean, do you think that there is perhaps another danger associated with the promotion of bilingualism or um, a sort of hybrid approach to medium of instruction, uh, which is that it, you know, might end up with, with the sort of situation that we see quite widely in some former British colonies. So I'm thinking of uh, South Asia, uh, well, actually it's not a British colony, but an, an, an Anglophone or, you know, the former American colony of the Philippines. Um, and, and what we see in many of these places where parents have um, often demanded English medium of education, have often, you know, um, resisted attempts by governments to promote mother tongue education um, because they perceive, you know, the value of English in the employment market. Um, but what we often find is that you end up with young people or, or graduates of the high school or college system who have a certain degree of competence in English, but are not fully fluent uh, and struggle to express or articulate, you know, complex ideas in English, but who also struggle to articulate complex ideas in their native language. Um, you know, so they may be more comfortable actually writing in English than in their native language, um, and, and, and perhaps even thinking in English, but they're, uh, or, or at least thinking about certain, um, uh, concepts or ideas, but they may not have full fluency in any of the languages that they speak. And that, you know, has implications, I guess, for their, I was going to say quality of life in the most, oh, yeah. ban the most banal or basic level. Uh, but it also has implications, you know, if you're a policymaker or someone concerned with the economy, it has implications for the capacity of the graduates of those schooling systems to sort of function yeah to a high level in certain uh vocational or professional roles yeah i mean what you just mentioned is definitely a phenomenon we need to pay attention to and i agree with that we don't want the students to be uh both uh not that prof uh, not that 
uh, not that good in English and not that good in Mandarin Chinese. No. So, and currently when we work with schools, we actually first, I mean, we, we need to face the reality. We don't have that many trained teachers can teach their subject bilingually. Then they sell themselves, they are not English teachers. So their English proficiency level is limited to most of the teachers. And as you just mentioned, Mandarin, uh, Mandarin is the most common used language in Taiwan. English is not. So the teachers, they don't use English for their daily conversation, right? So since we are in the, in the very beginning stage of promoting bilingual teaching, so what we ask the teacher to do is to use very simple instructional languages as a start. Mm. So making students to realize that, okay, in schools, the student will listen to some English and some Chinese. But when teacher teach the core concept of the subject, because the student's English proficiency level is not that good and teacher's English proficiency is not that good too, so for key concepts, the instructional language should still be Mandarin. Yeah. So, so for example, okay, you probably will observe a bilingual subject classroom when the classroom teacher is giving certain instructions. For example, take out your textbook. Okay, turn to page twenty. Mm. The teacher uses English, mm. but when the teacher try to explain an abstract or a complicated concept, the teacher need to use the, 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 the language the student most familiar with, mm. Mandarin, mm. to make sure that most of the students understand the content. Mm. So, I mean, this is <clears throat> current stages. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, it's interesting the way you describe this for me, because I mean, you've, we, we've, we've discussed how the comparison has been made in Taiwan with Singapore or Singapore has been invoked as a model. But I mean, in fact, you know, a society in some ways that's closer, well, in, in several ways that's closer to Taiwan is than Singapore is Hong Kong. Um, and I mean, on the one hand, Hong Kong was a British colony for many years and, and, and therefore, you know, English became sort of embedded in, uh, you know, as the language of public administration, the language of the law, um, and so forth, the language of, of, of business, or at least the, the sort of the high finance yeah. in Hong Kong. Uh, but um, on the other hand, you know, Hong Kong was more than 95% Chinese uh, and uh, almost entirely Cantonese-speaking Chinese. Yeah, yes. And um, although most parents demanded or aspired uh, to send their children to so-called English medium schools. Uh, I was teaching in Hong Kong in the mid-1990s, and my school was an English medium school. But most of the time, the teachers and students were talking to each other in Cantonese. The textbooks were in English, uh, The um, but the teachers would go through the textbooks, explaining them a lot of the time in Cantonese. Um, and you know, after many level, uh, after many years of studying English uh, in a so-called English medium school, a lot of students were still struggling to yeah. express themselves flu fluently in English. But nonetheless, parents and and many students themselves, uh, uh, by the time they were old enough to sort of consider how these things were valued by society, uh, demanded English medium education. Um, and you were just talking about, you know, effectively the language of command in the classroom being English, but Mandarin Chinese being used to explain con complex concepts in, in, in Taiwan, because, you know, that's the language that people understand. I mean, that's very similar to the situation that, that has persisted in Hong Kong for a long time. Uh, and, and not, and not just in classrooms, but the police force in Hong Kong. Uh, until very recently, the language of command was English. But yeah, the language of conversation was Cantonese. Now, or, or since 2019 or 2020, the language of command has switched to Mandarin. Yeah. Um, but 
English is still valued in Hong Kong. Uh, you know, it's not being abandoned. It's it's being valued, but valued for now. I think much more narrowly pragmatic reasons. Yeah, uh, uh, or at least by the government, but by ordinary people. Um, if anything, I would say, uh, you know, whereas in the 1990s, ordinary people by and large would value English for pragmatic reasons, maybe more of them nowadays value it for sentimental reasons as well. I don't know. Okay. That, that's an interesting observation, Azu. You would, what you just mentioned for sentimental reasons. Because in Taiwan, yeah, I think when the parents would like their kids to have to have better English proficiency level, I think it's mainly for pragmatic reasons because you you were, I mean, most of the parents probably believe that you will be good for their kids' future. Oh, I think in in the case of Hong Kong, you know, pragmatism still for most people most of the time trumps everything else. Um, what I just described the scenario currently happening in Taiwanese schools is because uh, the the teachers, most of the teachers are not trained to teach their subject content in two languages. Mm. When they were trained, they were trained to teach the subject content in Mandarin. Mm. So we saw proper professional development and we saw proper teacher training system. We cannot expect these teachers, they can fully function to teach their subject uh, knowledge or subject content using both Mandarin and English. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what, what Taiwanese schools or Taiwanese teachers currently practicing is because of we are facing this reality of uh, teaching force and the students' English proficiency level. But let's say if for 10 years or even 15, after 15 years, if the government can go beyond only making changes we see in schools, I mean, within the education system, if there are more English channels or in other parts of society promoting more English medium, um, media uh, or other things. Popular culture. Yes. Then, if the students' English proficiency level getting better and the teachers are properly trained, probably there will be another type of bilingual subject teaching happening in Taiwanese school. Mm. What I just described is because of the reality of the Taiwanese school at this moment. Mm. All we have these kind of resources and teaching force, and our students' English proficiency level is just like this. So this is what we can do. Mm is to help the schools to respond to the gov- uh, to the policy from the central government the policy requirement yeah mm. i mean i mean maybe i'll make this the last sort of point or question what about bringing in teachers from outside taiwan i mean this is something that's been tried to varying extents in in other east asian societies uh, yeah in, including Japan, although here the, the the Japanese case is rather peculiar for reasons that we probably don't have time to go into. But you know, has this been discussed? You know, bringing in native speaking English teachers on a significant scale. Okay, okay, yeah. Uh, I okay. Currently, the to me, the government tried to recruit more and more native English-speaking teachers, the NETS, mm. Taiwan. But I, I I, am more, I probably will take a more reserved stance on this. Mm-hmm. Okay. I agree that uh, the, na- the NETS, the native English-speaking teachers, they are good sources of English. But there is no so-called standard English at this moment, right? There are various accents. And have have some some nets in Taiwanese schools is a good thing. They can work with local English teachers, or even those 
bilingual subject teachers together to to probably leveling up the the the, the English teaching in schools. But I don't think uh, getting more nets into Taiwanese schools will improve the bilingual subject teaching. Why? Uh, I have a few reasons for this. First, most of the nets coming to Taiwan, they don't speak Mandarin. Mm. Actually, they, when they teach, for example, when they teach music, mm. they cannot use Mandarin to help students understand mm. the concept of blah, blah, blah. That's a yeah. reason. Yeah. The reason is that, in fact, uh, I have to mention, I can give you one example. Uh, uh, from 2015 to 2017, I conducted a research and I, I actually observed uh, 27 nets working in Taiwanese schools, public schools. Observe their lessons and interviewing them and interviewing those teachers working with them and interviewing the school principal. I realized that uh, uh, the nets, uh, their, their culture uh, of working in schools from time to time is very different from Taiwanese uh, school culture. So nets actually, when they come into Taiwan, they, they have a cultural shock. So they need to reculturalization themselves into Taiwanese school culture. Uh-huh. In the process, there are some conflicts and from time to time between the nets and local teachers. Yeah. That's and also, the nets, they don't understand the curriculum guideline because all the curriculum Well, guidelines, and the exams. Exactly. Yeah. The system. So the curriculum guidelines are only Mandarin Chinese. And so it's an exam, right? So we cannot expect these nets coming to Taiwan to teach bilingual subject. They can teach English working together with a local English teacher. But if we ask them to work with local subject teacher, subject teacher to teach their subject bilingually, then a weird, uh, awkward scenario will happen. For example, uh, if a net nest need to work with a local music teacher to teach music bilingually, they are doing team teaching in the same classroom. Mm. That lesson, they need to prepare the lesson together, right? Because the apparently may not have the understanding of what the music lesson is like or the counter knowledge is about mm. in this Taiwanese music class. Mm. When they're doing lesson preparation together, the music teacher need to have the ability to explain the unit he or she is going to teach to the next. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that they can co-teach, right? Yeah. But the teacher can do that. The teacher can teach this lesson bilingual on their own. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. So, to me, having some nets in Taiwanese school is good, but the nets can work with local English teachers to teach English because when English mm. subject, uh, when the teach when teacher teach English, they mostly use English with his help. With, with the help of some Mandarin Chinese. Mm. So they can teach because mm. the local English teachers speaking English, the nest can understand, right? Mm. But when the local music teachers speak, uh, talking about the co- music content in Mandarin Chinese, the nest cannot understand. Yeah. Mm. So you, you see the differences. So uh, that's the reason why I say I'm more reserved in the attempt of the central government trying to recruit a lot of nets. And another practical reason is that the nets cost a lot. Yeah, because they, 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 they come with accommodation allowance and all of these other things, yes. It's higher than the local teacher. Yeah, which can also be a source of friction. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think if the last thing I would like to mention is that uh, I, I think probably you know, you realize that in the past few months, there are a lot of uh, uh, voices against bilingual education in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Some are from teachers' union. Okay, because 
since the government pushed this policy so hard, so hard in such a short time, of course, you will have discontented voices from the teachers. Mm. You don't give sufficient time. You don't train them well. You don't give them enough resources. But I have to say, some of the uh, some of the academics against this policy. I mean, to me, they actually, uh, they are not from KMT side or not wow. from other political stance. In fact, they are coming from within DPP. This academic actually are pro, pro DPP, mm. but they are more towards the native language or local language side. Right. They are afraid of that is the bilingual policy because English as a medium of instruction together with Mandarin, are more acceptable to most of the parents. Mm. If you ask the school to do bilingual teaching and the bilingual is Mandarin and Minanese, the, probably not that many parents will accept this idea. But some there are, there are those within the DPP who would prefer that form of bilingualism to Mandarin English. So to me, actually, those who are uh, openly against this idea, especially for academics, they, they are they actually are more pro DPP academics mm. rather than from pro KMT or other camps. Mm. So to me, the the reason reason dispute regarding bilingual education in Taiwanese society actually is. It's a dispute within the party. Mm. They different, you know, different discursive formation, and these two discourse actually they are competitive their status to become the dominant one mm. in type. Mm. That that's that's my view on this. Right. So there's a, there's an argument going on between a sort of a view of Taiwan that emphasizes its identity as. Um, a, a multicultural um, you know, blend of various uh, heritage uh, uh, cultures um, that have dwelt on the island for several centuries past, and on the other hand, a vision of Taiwan, which, in the same way, tries to distinguish Taiwan from China, but which looks outward and emphasizes a sort of international identity. Uh, linked to English. Well, thanks very much, Zubin. Yeah, that was a really fascinating conversation. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, and we'll have to uh, wait and see how this situation develops in Taiwan over the next few years. Um, but I mean, the whole issue of language education and the uh, sort of political and uh, pragmatic aspects of it uh, yeah. is, is, is something that I think, you know, deserves to be discussed in relation to a lot of other societies in East Asia and beyond. So we'll, we'll probably return to this in future episodes. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Thanks a lot. I think that our conversation is very fruitful. Yeah, I think 